Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. All right, everybody. We'll go ahead and get started. Uh, it's 4.30. Today is uh, July the 6th, Wednesday. Uh, I'm joined. Uh, my name is Ryan Wilk. I'm a partner here at Ready Newman PC. I'm joined today by my colleague and partner, Stephen Brown. Um, and so, Leo, if you want to throw it to the first caller, we'll go ahead and get started. Sure. Shiba? Yeah. Hi. Yeah, hi. Uh, sure. I have a question. My, my priority date is uh, 2014 August, and I interfiled uh, last month in July, June month. So now I, I mean, my I-140 EB3 is still pending. So uh, I am planning to uh, upgrade it to premium process, uh, downgrade, I mean, I-140 EB3. So, I mean, I'm just thinking in the worst scenario. So if something goes wrong and if it gets denied or rejected, so still, uh, I mean, uh, will my EB3 is also considered as denied or still that will be valid? Okay, so let me just get the facts straight. So you did an, a, a downgrade maybe from EB2 to EB3. That's what got you filed right. the 485? Right. Uh, right. That EB3 is still pending. But while all that's going on, you, you've done the interfiling with the EB2, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. so, okay, perfect. Um, one thing I'll say is that, oh, you got the receipt notice for the 485J? Yes. Okay, um, so you should be okay with the 485J uh, interfiling under the EB2 now. One thing that I would want you to do is get the I-140 EB3 approved. Um, that needs to, from, in my view, that needs to be approved before the 485 can be approved. It's, you can maybe think of it like a bridge. You filed it on the EB3. That's the basis of our filing. And so we still need that to be approved before, in my view, the interfiling can really take effect. And so you've done nothing wrong with doing the interfiling. I'll just call maybe early. Uh, but in my view, you want the EB3 approved. Um, and so go forward with the premium processing. You shouldn't have any issues there. Now, maybe what happens if the I-140, the EV-3 I-140 gets denied? Uh, that is likely going to result in your 485 being denied, but big picture, that's not a death knell for us. It's nothing terrible. Uh, let me ask you this question. Are you still keeping H-1B status? No, that's what I'm in. Uh, okay. I'm in EAD. So okay. if something goes wrong, so I, do I need to... I mean, I'm going to be out of status and I have to go back and get it stamped or how is that? 
Yeah, you would. You would. And then, you know, once you would take take care of that, get the H-1B stamping to come back in, you would still have that EB-2 I-140 approval. And so assuming your priority date would still be current, you could just file your 485 again at a later time, uh, this time in EB-2. And then maybe let's say that this EB-3 gets denied. Uh, that won't negatively impact the next 485 you'll do. Uh, so just to circle back, I would say like effort the premium processing, get the I-140 EB-3 out of the way. For me, that clears the road. And now you're sitting in the EB-2 queue, uh, just waiting on that officer to finally approve the case. Um, I would say that the case isn't going to be approved until the EB-3, the bridge, so to speak, mm -hmm. gets approved. And so mm -hmm. first things first, address that. And then from there, you really are smooth sailing on a case. Um, the only time that I would really say to you expect an I-140 denial mm -hmm. is if maybe the company, I'll just say, uh, doesn't have the finances behind it. 99% um, of the time, the company has the finances, what's called the ability to pay. Um, mm -hmm. And so if there's the 1% chance that the company just doesn't have the numbers, uh, then you might have the denial. Have you been with this company most of the time or the whole time? Yeah, well, from last okay. 10 years. Then, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have any concerns. So just go forward on the premium processing. You may get an RFE. Um, it will likely be the USCIS asking the company for the most recent tax returns, maybe your most recent W-2. Um, but for me, you already got the EBI-140 approved, so that tells me you have the education and the experience. For the approval, the third box that we have to tick for the approval is the company's ability to pay. Um, if you did this case, I think maybe you did the downgrade in October 2020. Was that the case? Right. Then the, the documents in there are just going to be old. So you, so I would say expect an RFE. Nothing wrong with the RFE, but what it's going to be doing is just asking uh, the company to provide the newest tax returns. And really, that's the end of it. Once they respond within about 15 days, you'll have the approval. Okay. Okay. But uh, but uh, the main concern for me is, I mean, because if I want to get it stamped, I mean, I'm not, I mean, now we don't get uh, uh, visa slots that easy. So yeah, most concern. I mean, so if something, I would say don't. Yeah, I would ahead. say don't. I mean, don't really, don't really have any concerns on the EB three. Just be on top of the company and make sure that they're responding by the deadlines and okay. things like that. Sure. Uh, but. Okay. I would say it's going to be in your best interest to do the premium processing if you can. Okay, thank you. Of course, you would. Thanks. Hey, uh, thanks, Ryan, for the opportunity. Um, so my immigration situation is uh, my perm and I-140 uh, with EB2 India uh, was approved with my previous employer A uh, with a priority date of uh, December second December twenty fourteen. Um, then I continued with that, with that previous employer for more than five years. And I started with a new employer B um, last October, 2021. And right now they're just getting started with my, uh, you know, burn process. And I think okay. for the July, 2022 visa bulletin, my priority date, which is uh, 2nd December, 2014 has become current, if I'm not wrong. So, uh, Considering this situation, will it be a good idea to join my previous employer A and ask them to file my 485 with my EB2 India priority? Um, I had reached out to them, in fact, um, in, the, in, in the meantime, 
and they expect me to join them in order to start that IE-485. Um, so my current H-1B is expiring this December, 2022. So um, I just trying to evaluate and I had uh, my previous uh, uh, visa extension with my previous employer uh, back in 2019 got denied um, for which I have to change the employment. So I'm kind of, uh, you know, a little um, concerned, should I join? I mean, the, the, my previous employer is a big consulting company, um, but still I had a denial uh, back in 2019. So I'm kind of concerned if I go back to them, what will happen to my H-1B extension? Will I get a one year or three year extension with my priority date being current? Uh, number mm -hmm. two, what are the other things I need to watch for? Uh, in case I join them and, you know, start my uh, IE-485. Okay, so there's a couple couple issues in there um, that we can sort through. First issue is, legally speaking, do you need to do to go back to company A uh, immediately for them to file a 485? Legally speaking, no. You can still be with company A or company B, your current employer, right. and company A can still file the 485 for you from a legal perspective, right. business, maybe reality perspective, they might want you to join um, before they'll do that, which is understandable, but that's the business side, the legal side, you don't need to. Um, so that's that. Uh, so right now, yeah, you do only have one opportunity to file the green card and that is through company A. And so if what you want ASAP as a 485 filed, you know the answer, only company A. Uh, if you want right. to wait, um, I'm not sure when Company B started. You said you joined them uh, October 2021. And they're just getting the perm started? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's it's likely if you wait on them, wait on Company B to do anything, you're probably looking at this time next year. Uh, to file the I-140 and the 485 and all that. Now, I would be really shocked if your priority date retrogresses. So if you did wait until next year, you'll you'll probably be in be fine. Uh, and so that's kind of the two scenarios you're looking at is company A, they can file at ASAP. Do you want to go move to them? That's kind of a question that you have to ask. Um, the other side of the coin is if you wait, you know, company B can carry you forward, you know, probably next year. Um now, you had some concerns about uh, going to company A and whether the H-1B extension, uh, yeah. you know, you've had some issues in the past with that company. And so uh, right. just generally, and Stephen can maybe weigh in as well, but you should be getting the one-year H-1B extension. That shouldn't really be an issue for me uh, under AC-21. Now, I don't know anything about what your denial might have been for in 2019, Um so uh, that's it's just hard for me to answer on, on that case in terms of what the, the risks might be there. Maybe if you see risks in the case, you don't go back there and you just sort of swallow the bitter pill and you wait you know, a year or so and file your 485 then. You should be getting the H-1B extension and that shouldn't be a problem. I'll say that. Um, but I think the issue that you really have to face, and it's not a legal issue, it's more of a... Um, maybe there is a legal issue in it, but it's more of a business decision that you're having to make. Do you want to go with them ASAP, or do you want to um, wait a little bit, knowing that there is maybe some uh, risk with H-1Bs from company A? Yeah, I mean, so this, so this will be an H-1B transfer, right? If I join them back, it'll be H-1B transfer, I guess. And my mm -hmm. priority date just got current last month, 
which is less than a year. So the approval I'll be getting on my H-1B transfer, will that be just be a year or could be two and a half years like you usually get after one for, for you know, one for the approval? It would likely be for one year. And it is going to depend on what your priority date, whether it's current or not on the date that you're requesting uh, the mm -hmm. extension. Uh, but I would say that you should be, given what you've told me, I, I would be anticipating the one-year extension. Okay, and I, can this be, I'm sorry, just a follow-up question. Can this be initiated in parallel, like H1U transfer and 485 uh, submission, like initiation with my previous employer, can that be started in parallel? Or I have to Absolutely. wait for the uh, I would consider them. I would consider them as independent. Uh, the H1B okay. is not going to impact the 485 as well as the other way around. So you can do okay. them at the same time, but I would want okay. you to think of them as independent. They don't, you might think that they relate because they're from the same company and all that. H1B uh, is an extension into the green card, those things. But from a legal perspective, they are independent. And so you don't need to time one or the other. You can do them both at the same time. But if you did one and then another later, whichever way you wanted to do it, the result is the same. Gotcha. One last question. During this transition, it is, is it going to impact my wife's uh, H4B, I mean, H4 EAD status? No, as long as she's holding the H4, uh, uh -huh. as long as her H4 is valid, the H4 EAD will be valid. Okay, even if uh, I joined, I transitioned to the new employer, it still should be, still, still should be valid and she can continue her job. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So as long as you're maintaining H1B status and she's maintaining her H4 status, she's good to go with the H4 EAD. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Hira, and uh, thank you for holding this uh, session. Um, so currently I have my EB3 filed uh, uh, in for the year 2015. And uh, my employer is uh, willing to file for a new perm in EB2, provided that there's a change in about 60% change in my job description. So my question is, uh, does working on different technologies qualify for that 60% change in job description or um, does it have to be a 60% change in the role itself? So, I would be more comfortable with the actual duties changing than the technologies. Um, but when we're talking about this is, so this is a, a regulation called substantial comparability, right? You can't use experience from the company to qualify for the perm position if it's what they call substantially comparable. And what that means is 50% different on the duties. That's what the regulation speaks to. It doesn't speak to necessarily technologies. So I would feel more comfortable as the attorney crafting the case in such a way where the duties are looking 50% different. Now, that is a little bit of an art. I mean, it's not a difficult art to, uh, to undertake, but the way I think of it is I kind of turn it into a math equation. Uh, the way I'll maybe think of it is the qualifying job has 10 duties, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. The job that we're going to put on the perm, let's really boil it down and make it three duties. So now we've got 10 versus three. And I, to take it one step further, the government, they don't know what any of this stuff means. It's all Greek to them. And so they're going to take it at the, the English plain syntax that's in front of them. So we've got 
10 versus three. These three, from a professional standpoint, might be the same as those 10, but the USCIS officer doesn't understand that at all. And so when you're putting whatever duties you might be putting on this new job, this perm job, I would just make okay. sure that they're different, so to speak, than these 10 jobs from the qual or 10 duties from the qualifying job. And the way I kind of present it to USCIS is that, okay, here's these 10 duties that she did in the old job. Here's these three or four duties that we're proposing for the new job. None of these four appear within these 10 and none of these 10 reflect on these four. So you, the government can't say at all that there's any comparability because we break it down into that math equation. It's 50%. We have 10 here, 0% okay. of our three or four reflect into these 10 and we do it the other way around. 0% okay. of these 10 reflect into these four. And so that's the way I do it um, as an office. Now, let me maybe give it back to you. And let me, kind of what are your thoughts there? You, you look like you have a little concern on your face. And so um, just want to make sure that, that you're kind of, that we're understanding each other. Um, so um, I think I do understand that just uh, switching out the technologies is not good enough. And, and yes, it's plain uh, text for the USCIS office. Um, but one of the doubt that I had was, uh, so say, let's say the duties has uh, uh, interning, uh, I mean, uh, coaching the mentor uh, interns, and uh, there's a, a percentage change in that recruitment, that recruitment duty that I do, or even uh, coaching the interns duty that I do. In my original uh, job description, it was about 5%, but now it's, I'm more hands-on on it. Uh, so will that percentage change uh, qualify for this new 60% change in duties or does it, mm. or is I would I, say no. Okay. Okay. I think you're looking at like in my day, I have a hundred percent, you know, that I can dedicate to any one number of things. And so like this coaching, the mentors, you're saying that's like a 5% of your 100%, right? Is that kind of the right. way you're thinking about it? That's not the way I would necessarily look at it in terms of the regulations, because they just look at duties and they just want to see that 50% of the duties, not the time that you're dedicating to those duties, but the actual duties inherent in the job. They want to see that job one is at least 50% different than job two. So if maybe 5% of, so we have, let's say we have 10 items of duties for your current job, five okay. item one. 5%, that's 5% is, is coaching. Maybe we okay. want to call this entire new job. All you're doing is coaching. So that's 100%. This is just okay. technical. Let's theorize it. 100%. Right. So okay. now it's one, one duty on the new job and 10 duties from the old job. 25%, right? Right, right. So now we're, we're still not hitting the 50% mark where the government's going to have a problem with us. And so I wouldn't think of it as the magnitude of how much you're doing this duty. I would just think of it as, as a simple math equation. If we've got 10 duties here in the okay. qualifying job and three okay. or four in the new job, I would just want to make sure that when we break it down to that math equation, that there's not 50% of duties in the new job being shown in the old job. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, thank you, Ryan. appreciate your uh, feedback on this. Course. Good evening. Good evening, we can't hear you. Hi. Hi, hi Ryan. Good evening. 
I have one quick question. Hi. Uh, I have one quick question. I downgraded uh, from EB2 to EB3 in November 2020. Uh, my priority date is uh, 2012 March and I-140 everything got approved. And in, and in 2021 Jan, I interfiled to Nebraska Service Center. Why? Because this uh, California Service Center came, no, notice up, came after that. So, uh, so my attorney interfiled along with 485J to Nebraska Service Center. They interfiled from no, EB1, EB3 to EB2. But after that, I got the receipt notice. But now everybody is uh, you know, doing the interf um, um, interfiling to California Center. So I'm not sure whether my, uh, is anything, I, do I need to once again re-interfile to California Center? It wouldn't hurt your case. Like you're not going to put a black mark on your case. It wouldn't result in any denials or anything like that um, to do so. So you've got your receipt notice out of Nebraska. So for me, that that says, hey, we've shifted to the EB2Q. Uh, but maybe to bring eyes of an officer to the case, why not try it? The worst thing that's going to happen is that they'll reject it out and say, hey, you know, we've already taken the EB2 Indra file and you've already got the receipt. Um, best that happens is maybe the case gets pulled out and, you know, shifted to the service center that you'd like. No guarantees there. But just to get to your question, nothing will be hurt by doing another supplement J. And so just try, oh, okay. um, yeah. you won't hurt yourself. Yeah, only by doing re, so. yeah. Thank you. Only reason I didn't do, no, I didn't pursue that way because in their documentation, they mentioned that if the, you know, if anybody has already interfile, do not interfile again in the USCS, no, the, that mm -hmm. their alert notice. So yeah, that's, I mean, they, the worst that would, they would do is they would just reject it. Okay. And so you'd lose the few dollars that you spent on FedEx, but it's not gonna do anything to hurt your case. So that I interfile, can I do by myself or I, again, I have to go through attorney? The company, or you mean you can mail it, but the company does need to sign the 485J for the interfiling request. Um, but the 485J already submitted and I got the receipt notice. No, I, I understand. Uh, but I would say if you're going to try to do another interfiling, I would say the company, you can send it, but the company still needs to sign. God, thank you. Of course. Thank you for that, guys. Sure. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank, first of all, yeah, thank you so much for take, holding these public calls. Uh, I'm part of the 2020 employer base I-485 filers. Uh, my priority date is August 2012. Uh, original was under EB2. Uh, the 485 was, however, filed under concurrent EB3, um, which was approved in April of 2021. Uh, it was on the premium. Um, the I-485J was filed back in February 2022. I've got a receipt notice in April. Um, I've had what was the 485J for? It was uh, for interfiling or for? Interfiling from EB3 to EB2. Um, okay, understood. Like up, yeah. yeah. Um, I have heard that the, the interfiling, the I-485J resets the portability clock. Uh, so my main question is, um, I have a job offer from a similar, like a different employer, similar role, um, but do I have to stay at my current employer for the 180 days or I can join the other employer in 180 days? Um, okay. So I can leave my job, but not join the other job for one, still 180 days or do I actually have to stay at my current employer for 180 days since the 485G? Okay. When did you do the 
the interfiling, the portability request? Uh, the received date of that was February 14th, 2022. Okay. So uh, I, I'm assuming that you're currently working with the company who filed the 485 for you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you sit until probably March and kind of, a, or not March, September. That's going to be for me what I'm estimating as the 180 day mark. And so to your query, does the interfiling set reset the portability clock? It, it does. Uh, I would say it resets it for 180 days. And so you said 22, Feb 22 was the receipt date. So for me, six months out. Um, August, right? August. August, August yeah. August, August, yeah. August. Not, not. So uh, here's the reality that you're facing is that you can have, or you can, let me ask you this. Do you have your EAD approved? I do. I do. Okay. So you could take your EAD this afternoon and go work for this new company. And that won't do anything to impact your green card. You can do an H-1B transfer to this company B. Yeah, it and that won't do anything. It's already been approved. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, so, but transfer has been approved already. Yeah. So the, the risk that you are running from today until August, that 180-day mark, is the company does have the theoretical ability to pull a job offer from you. Uh, they could send a government, the USCIS, a letter saying, hey, you know, we, we did the interfiling request or whatever, um, but we're going to withdraw the case. We no longer wish to sponsor it. And so you are within that limbo period until August 2022. Um, if, if you don't think that the company is going to do that, then you really have no problems. Uh, but that is the reality you're facing. And so... Um, oh, got it. Let me give it back to you I don't think for a second. You asked me do that. Yeah. And so then you're, you're really not in a bad spot at all. But then after August 2022, um, company B, this new company, they can file their own supplement J to, to kind of pull everything under their umbrella. Uh, but I would wait until at least August to do so, get outside of that 180 day mark. And then, and then you do the portability, no problems there. Awesome. So, so sorry, one last thing. So, should I wait to join the new company or should I, can I exit? You don't need to. No, you don't need to. You don't need to wait at all. Yeah, you don't need okay. to wait at all. Just the only risk that you run is that maybe you leave company A today. They might say, hey, you know, we're going to pull the case. And, and then that's going to result in the denial. So that's that's what I was speaking about a moment ago. Um, and okay. so if it's the, the sweet sugar to keep them from pulling the case, you stay with them until the 180 day mark. But if you're comfortable, you know, that they're not going to pull it, or maybe they're not even knowing that they can do that sort of thing, then go ahead and move and, and come August, you're outside of the window anyways, and then you're good to go. So it's a month, maybe six awesome. weeks or so. Okay. Thank you so much. That is very relieving. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Yep. Bye. Thank you, uh, hi. Uh, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity. Um, I, have, I have received a me medical RFP from Chicago field office for my I-485 application. Uh, I replied to my medical RFE using the UPS courier and it says that received by the doc, left at doc. And I asked the UPS to investigate and they confirmed me that it is delivered to the doc of the USCIS address. And I'm kind, and USCIS is not updated any of my status, case status. They said mm -hmm. it is 60 days and they are all saying that if you have the proof of delivery from the UPS that is sufficient. I'm kind of a uh, worried right now uh, because uh, if USCIS not responds within the 60 days, if my RFP date crosses, 
do they deny my I-485 application? Okay. Um, one thing I'll say first off before we get into the, the real issues is that I don't put much trust in that online USCIS system to look for the updates and things like that, especially when it's kind of so late in the process where it's at the field office for you now. Uh, those field offices aren't really keyed in to that same system. That's That big system is sort of for the big processing centers. Uh, and so that Chicago field office, even if they got it, the online case data system isn't going to show that. Um, one thing that, that you may be able to do is call the USCIS customer service uh, just to inquire, you know, here's my receipt number, has the, the RFE been received or the response been received? So that's, that's point one. Um, now, uh, when's the RFE deadline? Actually, RFE deadline, RFE deadline was August 20th and uh, my 60 days will cross on July 7th. Uh, I have responded and it is clearly says that delivered to the dock. I inquired the mm -hmm. dock address also and it is in the USCIS the same building offices. And I called mm -hmm. the front desk of the office and inquired it. They says every mail comes from the U UPS, DHL or FedEx will go to the dock. Dock is responsible to verify the uh, content and distribute within the office. But mm -hmm. I checked with the USCIS customer service also. They said that it is a common and uh, it is received by the doc only, but they says it will take 60 days to update the uh, response. I see, I see. Um, so I would, I would, I feel optimistic in telling you that everything's been done necessary on USCIS's end, but how can we protect ourselves? Uh, yes. Option one is, is have the <laughs> proof of the delivery uh, of, of the package. If you get a letter. So what, what likely would happen is that you would get a, you wouldn't get a straight 485 denial. You would get a denial, or I'm sorry, I take it back. They would send you a denial decision and you would have 30 days to essentially file what's called a motion to reconsider. Another way that you can call it is an appeal. With that, it's called an I-290B. You file that and we can essentially say to the government, here's proof that I submitted the medicals. Here's proof that it was delivered to you. Um, given these facts in front of you, reconsider your denial decision. And what typically happens, and this is like less than 1% of cases. So like you're likely in the 99%, but let's say that you are in the 1%. They're going to reopen the case anyways, because they would likely be sued. And then Steven's pretty talented with suing USCIS and he's got a pretty good track record uh, with doing so. So in the worst case scenario, there are tools to fight the denial uh, but I would, I would tell you, you're just one of the unlucky guys who uh, has to deal with USCIS's technology, so to speak. Uh, yeah, but you're in the 99%. Your case has been received and all that. Um, but I would just say try to stay on top of USCIS uh, customer service to see if um, anything updates on their end. I, I have another request. When I did my medicals, I asked the doctor to give me two copies. I paid for additional money. Uh, to have the mm -hmm. two sealed copies. I, I sent one sealed copy and I have another sealed copy. It is advisable to send after 45 days another sealed copy that customer service, USCIS customer service is not confirmed my receipt of the RFP and I don't get the status updated. Hence, I'm sending the second copy. Will it create any confusion to the USCIS officer by attaching no. the earlier proof? Hmm? No, I would say no. I mean, they're the same medicals and the same documents. I wouldn't, I wouldn't see why they would, they would be confused by it. 
Okay, and I can send it down so that it is safe side that uh, we have sent twice and we have the proofs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I that's agree. that's my question. I, I think I will wait for another 30 days and resend it the medical if I don't receive any response. Sure. Thanks for your Thank you. Thank you, sir. And let's do one more caller and then we'll end it there. Okay. Yeah, hi. Hi, Ren. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I have a really lovely question. So I'll start with my little background. Uh, I got my H1 in 2015, and in 2016, the employer who has filed for my uh, visa, I mean, my H1 got convicted for, for fraud. And then I applied for transfer. All my transfer petitions have been pending from then. And in 2018, with uh, my litigation attorney, Brad, and other few other employers, employees who were victims of you know the fraud that the employer has convicted we all uh, filed a litigation suit with USCIS and uh, we have an injunction in place stating that USCIS would not uh, you know uh, for any future uh, what do you say applications that these employees will be doing they will not be uh, rejected based on their previous employer's history Right, so we have that injection in place, and then uh, the, the injection also states that USAS would not consider us, you know, out of status during the pending uh, period. And then uh, in COVID, uh, due to family reasons, I had to travel to India. Uh, the litigation is still ongoing; it is uh, still there. And then in 2021, I have applied uh, for a new petition, and it got picked and got approved. And on January 31st, 2022, I attended the interview. And uh, I, the Department of State did not have any information about this. So I shared all the documentation about the lawsuit and stuff, but they still rejected my visa on uh, uh, May 9th. So for the visa refusal, my litigation attorney, Brad, has responded to the consulate with a lot of information and an email and also the supporting documents. So now that, that he did in mid-June, and today I got an email from... Uh, uh, the consulate uh, asking for my passport to send back to the consulate. So what could it mean? So Divya, I'll field that one. Uh, so when you're talking about Brad, I assume Brad Banis? Yes. Yeah, good friend of mine. He and I work a lot of cases together. I actually talked with him this morning. Um, my yeah. bet is they're looking to give you the visa stamp and that that's what it's about. Um, okay. Uh, that, you know, they, they've got to get your passport in order to give the visa. Um, yeah. You know, obviously the Department of State can't seize your India visa. Um, uh -huh. So I think it's positive news. Uh, knowing Brad Bannis, he's probably been working to get this fixed and um, yeah. threatening Department of State and U the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, around the clock here. <laughs> um, again, good, good friend of mine. Uh, yep. So I'm sure. But yeah, it, my bet is it's to get you your visa stamp. Um, Shoot me um, an email, if you don't mind, Stephen at rnlawgroup.com. Um, okay. If you have any questions, and, and like I said, I've worked with Brad quite a bit, uh, yeah, working sure. with him on a couple of cases right now on the 485 delays and the benefit delays. And he and I spoke this morning, so um, okay, if you need great. any follow-up, happy to reach out to him on it too. Sure, sure. So I have the only confusion, and the reason I'm calling here and waiting here today is, my status online, it says still refused, not the refused when it is in administrative processing, like, like you are, mm. you know, the cons, 
someone has adjudicated your uh, visa and it is refused. So when it is still refused and it has been updated today, why are they asking your passport? So this they, kind they of may, they mm-hmm. may have gotten it, and, and really, I'm, I'm truthfully speculating here. So no promises mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Knowing what I know and knowing who I think your um, employer is, because I think it's a case Brad and I spoke about at length just um, about uh, before, I imagine if Brad's getting involved and they're not complying with a court order, um, mm-hmm. that this might be coming from somebody higher up than who updates that website. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just could be that it's coming down the pipeline that way. Um, and it's just not updated. That's that's kind of my guess. Um, okay. Like I said, um, what could I be the worst? Just what could be the worst case scenario? Taking my passport, is there any kind of rejection stamp like that? Or do you know anything? No, I mean, the, the rejected, they've already rejected your visa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not, I mean, it's not like they stamp anything in your passport saying rejected. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, um, usually when people have uh, visa denials, they get the 221G, they get the, you know, the mm-hmm. reasons and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So no, it wouldn't be a stamping passport. That's why I think it's positive news. Um, okay. Um, again, speculation, but knowing who your attorney is on litigation, um, mm-hmm. My bet, and, and, and since you have a court order, I'm betting it's good. Okay, okay, that's good. Can you please repeat your email address again? Yeah, it's Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, at rnlawgroup.com. Okay, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.